This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. For most of modern history, if you wanted a piece of original art, you had to hire an artist. Someone like Gustav Klimt. He's most known for his gold-studded work, The Kiss. In 1894, Klimt was commissioned to paint three works for the ceiling of the University of Vienna. They were supposed to capture the essence of the three faculties, medicine, jurisprudence, meaning law, and philosophy. They're known collectively as the university or faculty paintings. The paintings were a challenge for Klimt. They were huge, each over 13 feet tall, and he even rented out a special studio to work on them. Medicine featured a cloud of human figures at different ages adorned with signature Klimt detailing. Philosophy displayed a column of stacked bodies with the face of a sphinx peering in from the darkness. And jurisprudence was an intense composition with scattered bodies seemingly bound to each other. And when they were ready, there was this, uh, this excitement and this kind of scandal because people had not expected to see such, such paintings. Dr. Franz Mola is a curator at the Belvedere Museum in Vienna. It's home to the largest single collection of Klimt paintings in the world. This was really the, the most uh, important commission for Klimt which had cost him so much effort and also which was a, a crucial turning point for his coming to style, to finding to his personal style. And this was a big shock, a big surprise for the, for the people and, and in particular for the professors, for the academics, because this was not what they had expected. The University of Vienna rejected them, calling them obscene. Klimt decided to pay for the paintings and sold them to private owners. He died in 1918. Decades after his death, during the Second World War, many of his works were stored in the Immendorf Castle in Lower Austria. Smola says they were meant to be kept safe there from the war. But on the contrary, in particular this castle where the Klimt faculty paintings had been uh, safely stored, this came under fire and the whole castle was destroyed by fire, and including the faculty paintings, so they were destroyed, which is very sad because, in particular, because they were the, probably the most important Klimt works beside the kiss and beside other iconic paintings. Only black and white photos and writings describing details of the faculty paintings remained. That is, until artificial intelligence came into the picture, literally. From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Ariana Spudu. Today, we're exploring the intersection of art and technology. What could AI teach us about artists of the past? And how could it change how we understand the artistic process going forward? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Three of Gustav Klimt's most important commissioned works, the faculty paintings, were lost to a fire. This left art historians like Dr. Franz Smola, a curator at the Belvedere Museum, with photographs and descriptions of what they might have looked like. For art history, the paintings had been very important, but since they did not exist, and since only black and white images exist, they came a little bit out of sight of, of our attention, of the art historians. We, we knew about them, but since we had not so much knowledge about their, their colors, they were not so important to us anymore. So this is where AI steps in. The Google Arts and Culture team approached Smola and the Belvedere Museum with an idea. Let's train an AI model to analyze all of Klimt's works and figure out what colors these paintings really were. But just analyzing all of Klimt's works wasn't enough to create a good indication of the colors. The team gathered information about Klimt's style at the time and what people said about these paintings. And lucky for them, the faculty paintings caused a bit of a stir. I took the colors from the criticism of the lot of the writings of the journals of the newspapers which had described the faculty paintings at the time when they had been presented in several uh, exhibitions and when there was the scandal, this excitement. And this was a, an advantage for us because uh, the, the authors had described them very carefully and also the colors. That information went to Emile Wallner at the Google Arts and Culture team. These critics, they were scattered all over the place. So in newspapers, in exhibition catalogs, and finding all of these evidence and putting them in one place, that, that's a huge piece of work by itself. And then when I was trading, creating an AI model to, to create uh, colorizations, that was also a very difficult process. Smola collected all the details he knew about what the paintings looked like so Walner could have a baseline to work off of. But their initial model didn't look right, and the team needed more information than Klimt's catalog was able to provide. The Google team only had 80 full-color images of Klimt's works. But the algorithm needs roughly 5,000 images to learn a single object in a painting. So they expanded the database with works from thousands of artists. So then I had to kind of retrain it on a lot of artworks first. Uh, 100,000, so that it could create kind of um, a model of the world and understand what motifs were um, and kind of the, the entire scene of a painting. And then we could use Klimt's artwork to kind of add his colors and, and his biases to it. Smola came back in to make sure the result was still in line with how the works were described at the time, like quality control. The result, three colorized images based on the existing black and white photos. Now, they aren't meant to be hung in a museum in place of the real thing, but more to provide an idea of what these three paintings might have looked like. Philosophy in general, it's a bit green, and you have a sphinx as the main uh, motif, and you have like colorful stars. And then medicine, is, it's a lot of death, a lot of life. It's a little bit of blue, a little bit of gray, a lot of reds. Jurisprudence is a little bit more shocking. 
so you have gold, you have red, you have black, and you have this kind of this creature in the middle. When the recolorizations were released last year, not everyone in the art community was on board with the results, especially Jane Collier. They have absolutely no subtlety in terms of the coloration. As president of the Collier Research Institute and director of the Gallery Saint Etienne in New York, she specializes in Austrian and German expressionism. Either the solid colors or also the variations, you know, from one segment of the painting to another segment of the painting. So you might have a background color and a flesh color and a drapery color. And the relationships between those components are extremely jarring. They really look much more like cartoons of of some sort than they do like Klimt paintings. She looks to an original Klimt painting hanging in her office to help prove her point when it comes to the AI's recolorization. It was called Island in the Ottersee. It was done around the same time as the university paintings around 1901. Now, if you look at this painting, if I were to ask you, what color is this painting? You might say, well, it's sort of blue turquoise. But when you look at this closely, what you see is, no, it's not one color. It's turquoise, and it's blue, and it's yellow, and it's lavender. And it's not just one blue or one lavender or one turquoise. It's dozens and dozens and dozens of of tiny little dabs of paint. To say a picture was blue, or green, or that a color in the one of the university paintings was red, or, you know, simply not sufficient. Dr. Franz Smola, who also has extensively studied Klimt's life, stands by his research. Smola intervened throughout the project to make sure the paintings still matched what he knew about them. For example, he stepped in and chose a striking green color for the philosophy painting. From my experience, I could assume how daring Klimt was, how how courageous he would be to present some colors which he might not have presented it before. I was also questioning myself whether I could be also daring enough to, to go in this way. Some have questions and doubts and they say, no, Klimt has never used such a green. This is true, he did not use it before the faculty paintings and not even after it, but I'm sure that during this particular period, because it was such an outstanding period for him, he did it. But Kalir questions the basic premise of the project, using AI to restore lost works of art. It has never really occurred to me that is particularly necessary to endow them with color, because I don't know what color adds to the conversation, and if the color is obviously off, which I believe it is in this case, it actually detracts from scholarly understanding of the work. Understanding how paintings are constructed, not from pixels, but from paint, probably would do a better job, better in quotes, even if you gave a whole 
let's say, school of art students, this is an assignment to do, and you sort of graded them, nobody would care. The thing that makes this interesting and sexy is that an AI did it. And that is precisely the part of it that I question. So the big question is, why even bring AI into this? Why not just let scholars fight it out or have an artist recolorize the works? Walner says, for one thing, AI speeds up the process. It creates a statistical model uh, so you can make educated uh, guesses about areas where you don't have any information. Uh, so I think that that's one of the benefits. And the other part is that you can iterate fast. So it, it can generate colorization in a few seconds. But if you're doing that process manually, I mean, it can take hours or even days to create just one colorization. And if you need a lot of iterations, that can take a lot of time. Smola says AI isn't just good for looking at colors. It's helpful for finding shades in the background and figuring out which colors belong to certain shapes. What was the, the advantage of the old artificial intelligence, and, and this was the, the, the strength of, of the whole technique, is that the algorithmus, he knew about all the motifs, the subjects of Klimt's works, he could identify the single motifs and he could, he could identify uh, the contours, the silhouettes, the forms, and also the three-dimensional uh, parts of Klimt's. In Klimt's philosophy painting, for example, multiple bodies are sprawled vertically across the piece. Smola says AI was able to help him see the parts of the paintings he himself wouldn't have noticed. They are fragmented. You don't see always uh, the clear parts of it. So it's, it's hard to say, but, well, there are different parts. And the algorithm could identify which color, which tonality belongs to one part and which belongs to the other part, and which is what is in between, uh, which color could this have. And this was really convincing to me that this was, uh, it was not repainting it, but it was kind of giving a good image how Klimt would have resolved the problem. Smola says his museum could have never afforded this without Google footing the bill and would like to see this kind of technology become more accessible to academics studying art. It is a justified tool for us, for academics, to work with. So we can be reassured that this is not just for entertainment, but it has really justification also to assist to, to our research. But can AI actually help us understand an artist's process? More on that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. AI art has been having a bit of a moment lately. You might have seen wild images on Twitter of Darth Vader getting an MRI scan or a greyhound running around in space. They were created by an AI image generator, Crayon, formerly known as Dolly Mini. Anyone can type in a few words, say, Klimt podcast host, and the program will spit out a bunch of images based on those keywords. It's art, and you're an artist. 
are you really an artist if you don't take part in the process of creating the art itself? Art historians have long looked beyond how a work of art appears and tried to understand the techniques an artist used to make it. And this is another way researchers are using AI to better understand the artistic process. The whole goal of the system is that if you give it a painting, it can give you multiple answers to how this painting might have been created. That's Amy Zhao. She's a research scientist at Meta now. But when she was a student at MIT, she and some colleagues set out to build an AI system to create plausible answers to the question, how might someone have painted this? She collected data from time lapses of watercolor paintings on YouTube and Vimeo. Once I found a set of those videos, I had to extract usable training data from it, which meant that I had to remove frames that had shadows or hands or paintbrushes um, so I could just have images of the art in its partially completed stages. So collecting that data set was a very long and tedious process, but it turned out to be worth it. The team created an AI system that can look at a painting that it's never seen before and try to piece together the most probable way that it was created, generating new time-lapse videos showcasing the process. They published the results in 2020. So when you watch actual human artists create artwork, you'll notice that they do things in different ways from each other, right? Understandably, different humans paint in different ways. So that's something that we hoped for this AI system to capture. And you will see that if you ask the AI for different time lapses for a single painting, it sometimes does things in different orders. So sometimes it'll do the sky first, sometimes it'll do the, the ground first. And that's something that we saw in actual human painters as well. But since the system only analyzed videos of watercolors made using modern methods, it isn't able to recreate the process for older paintings that may have used different techniques or materials. Still, Zhao and her team see their work extending to other areas of painting or sculpting, even focusing in on an area in a painting. But we thought it could be interesting if you could zoom in, say, on a completed piece of artwork and look at the individual brush strokes, and then maybe the AI could figure out, oh, you know, first there was a blue color that was put down, and then a green color was layered on top of that. With the AI model learning complex patterns from the video tutorials, Zhao thinks it can shed light on the artists themselves. It's possible that if you apply it to a different kind of artwork, it can give you insights or suggestions about the time-lapse process that a human might not have thought of because it has access to all of this previous information. So I think that's one way that an AI can sort of complement what humans know about the creation of art or how humans interpret how different art pieces are created. We've talked about how AI has been used to analyze art, both the old and the new. But it's an involved process, taking many hours, feeding information into an algorithm, and then checking and rechecking the results. Is that really going to help historians better understand art and the people who made it? Richard Reinhardt has been looking at the intersection of new tech and art for decades. He's a digital artist, the director of the Samek Art Museum at Bucknell University, and co-author of a book about new media preservation. 
I, I think socially we don't have a lot of trust across the board or in any particular field in AI right now, right? Everybody thinks of it as being very much in the early developmental stages. And I think the art historians, you know, are, are right to be skeptical at this point, but to have some hope, you know, like, okay, well, once this thing proves itself, then I'll believe it, you know? But having said that, yeah, there could be definitely um, some service that AI could provide even in the restoration, conservation, or even just research and, and discourse. He says art historians aren't looking at the purely visual qualities of a piece anymore, but rather the context of it. But AI can still be a tool to streamline how art historians and curators work. You know, it used to be the case that art historians would have to travel around the world, you know, get research grants, go to this museum, get permission to go in the vault, look at these paintings, you know, by the artist. It can, in a way, sort of serve, let's just say for now, the art historian in a way that the art historian used to have assistance. And they would often give them the work of saying, go through every single paper file in this museum's archive and find and write down, you know, note every instance of a mention of this name. You know, what AI could be good for is saving the art historian a lot of time or doing something that maybe the art historian could never live long enough to do. And while Klimt expert Jane Collier isn't a fan of how AI was used to recolorize Klimt's lost works, she sees some potential advantages. I do think, broadly speaking, that there can be a depth of image analysis or pigment analysis or, you know, I mean, conservators now are able to do things in terms of analyzing the way a painting is structured that weren't possible even 10 years ago. And in scholarship, it can only always be a tool. Now, it would be wonderful if you had an AI and you could take the technical analysis that the conservators have done and feed it into a machine and have the machine reconstruct each layer. I would love that. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that I, that I, where I start to get excited. Reinhardt likens this moment to another major technological change in art, the very technology that gave AI the images from which it could recolor those Klimt paintings. So photography in the 19th century was a major new technology, of course, a visual representation, and it got quickly adopted in the art world, and it occasioned a whole bunch of conversations about what it means to be human, uh, what it means to see, um, you know, like, can machines see? Now we say, can machines think? But back then, the idea of machines actually seeing, like a person, that was revolutionary. You know, that blew people's minds. It was very human-like. Um, and it created a crisis, and it totally changed the course of art history. And I feel like that's exactly where we are now with AI, right? It's the new technology on the horizon. And artists are definitely there. Artists are using AI, they're reacting to AI. They're using other kinds of computational technologies as well and they're having the same conversations. AI is the new frontier for that. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Ariana Aspuru. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. And Kateri Yoakum is the Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. Thanks for listening. 